This morning's sermon text is Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I think most of us love the idea of things being restored or reclaimed. Um, for example, the craze, uh, and you know, the people love this uh, barn wood being restored. So they take old barn wood down that has seen a hundred years of seasons and life. You take it down, it's filthy, it's dirty, and, and then you begin to scrape it, and you clean it, you sand it, you put oil on it, and it just comes to life. I mean, it is something beautiful to see what, was, what seemed broken and almost worth nothing become something beautiful. And not just restoration of wood or even cars, an old rusted car that is cared for and rebuilt and restored, and it's just shining with beauty. You know, we love these things, not just, not just in things, though, in, in people. We love it in stories, right, with Les Mis or the Christmas Carol and Ebenezer Scrooge. You, you see these lives that have been broken and ruined, perhaps even by their own sin, but then, but then the change comes. They're restored. They're rebuilt. They're reclaimed. And, and it kind of warms. We need these stories. We need to know there's a way home, that when we fail and when we're broken, that in fact there's a way back, there's a way to be restored. We need this kind of hope in this life because we're all fallen. I mean, all of us here, if you've lived more than 30 years, you know repeatedly the times that we fail and we make mistakes. We say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. How do we get back? How are we remade? 
That's kind of the story you have here with Abram. You know, Abram, if you remember, if you've been here, if you haven't been here, we're looking back at the life of Abram. And he was called by God in chapter, really, 11, 12. He's called by God to, uh, to follow him, to believe the promises. God gave promises to Abram. Remember now, the first 11 chapters are just, just a, a kind of a, a litany of men's rebellion against God. But God's not finished with men. They've fallen far from God, but he's not finished. And so he calls Abraham and he gives promises to him. And he says, you'll have a land, you'll have a life, you'll have a people, and you'll be a blessing to the nation. God will redeem the world. God will reclaim all things that have been ruined. And Abram follows him. Says he doesn't know where he's going. But Abram follows God in faith, trust in God. And you see him go from Ur of the Chaldees, which would be like a northern Iraq, and he travels all the way to what would be modern Israel, and there the Lord appears to him. When he comes, the Lord appears in chapter 12, verse 7. He appears to him and reaffirms the promises. Abraham has walked by faith. He's believed in the promises. Well, then last week, though, we saw what? We saw a spiritual collapse. He fell apart. I mean, he, the famine comes to the land, and what does he do? Does he turn to God? Does he trust in the promises of life and the land? No. He goes, and it says in the text, he goes down to Egypt. That, that, that's an expression that we're to see, that he's leaving the promises of God. He's going down into Egypt. And there we saw the story of him kind of deceiving and conniving and manipulating, misleading about his wife so that he might save himself. <clears throat> we see it as a spiritual collapse. He's jeopardizing his own wife, the seed that was to come from his body, the land that he had been given by God. All the promises are jeopardized by his failure in faith. So what does God do? Doesn't kick him to the curb. No, in his faithlessness, God proves himself faithful and saves him. And delivers them. And, he, and he, what does he do? He even enriches them. <clears throat> What's our story? Our story is now Abraham, Abram returning. In other words, he's being restored. This is about God continuing the sanctifying work of a man. Not a perfect man, but a, a godly man that wants to follow. But he's fallen, like many of us. So, so, so I want to look at the story in three movements, because this is a narrative portion of Scripture. It's like a story. Stories have movements. The first movement is we're going to see Abram return to God in faith. Chastened, yes, but return in faith. We're going to see him begin to live by faith because he is confronted with another test. And then we're going to see him worship in faith. This God who has restored him. So this is really a story for all of us. It's a story about restoration, reclaiming, kind of a, a bringing back. Uh, so look with me in the first four verses. They're incredibly encouraging. He says, Abram went up from Egypt. Okay, he had gone down. Now he's coming up. That's a good sign. He and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was rich in livestock, silver and in gold. He journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his ten had been at the beginning between Bethel and I, to the place he had, where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So you're seeing Abram now chastened, 
He's humbled. He's instructed. And what does he do? He comes up from having gone down. He comes up to the land. What's he doing? He's simply retracing his steps. He's going back the way he came. He's going back to Bethel and I. Notice the language. Where he was at the beginning and where he built the altar at first. So you see this as a kind of a pilgrimage, a returning home. He's coming back to God. And you see that he's coming back to God in repentance and in faith, because notice what he does. He calls upon the name of the Lord. To call upon the name of the Lord is simply an expression for worship, for prayer. When you think of the name of the Lord, you're really thinking of his character, his mercy, his grace. He's coming back and he's returning to God, humbled but obedient, faithful, considering God's kindness, his mercy, his delivering power. I want you to know it was his failure that highlighted his renewed awareness of God's mercy. There, there is that silver lining of our failures. We see the mercy of God. You know, it, it's, as I said, it's kind of a story for all of us. I mean, if any of us have ever kind of fallen away, you've wandered away, maybe you feel, even right now, you're kind of a prodigal, uh, you've kind of, maybe you're thinking that I've even kind of been self-destructive. It's my own sins, it's my own choices that have put me far from God. Now, th this is a word for us. You know, Abram here walking in great faith, and then he has a, a spiritual and catastrophic failure, and, and then he returns and he's able to worship God again. You know, none of us get it right the first time. I mean, none of us walk without failure. And this is a story to encourage us, come back to God, return to God. I don't mean a worldly guilt. And sometimes we do things and we feel just bad about it. You know, we feel like, well, I embarrassed myself or I hurt somebody else or these consequences were tough for someone. It's kind of a worldly guilt. In fact, Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a sense of I'm sorry and I'm regretful, but it doesn't lead us to God. Uh, we either wallow in self-pity or we try to atone for our sins by making promises. We won't do that again or I'm going to fix the problem that I created over here. This is different what Abram's doing. Abram isn't just, man, that was a bad day. I had a bad week. That's what happened. No, Abram is repenting. Repenting is different in this sense. That repentance involves a contrition, a sorrow before God over what we have done. A failure to believe in the goodness of God's mercy. Remember, that's the original sin. The action of, of eating the fruit was the sin itself. But the motivation of it was we didn't trust God to be good. The promises that God gave to us, they're not sufficient. We need to take matters into our own hands, just like Abram did in Egypt. And now he's repented of that. He's repented before God, and he's returning, kind of to that love that he had at the first. I think about even the words of Jesus to the church in Ephesus. He says in chapter 2, he says, I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at the first. This is a word for us. It's actually instruction for us that when we fall away from God, 
when we wander away, when we intentionally run away from God, that there is a way home. There is a way home for the repentant, for those who have broken faith with God, that we can come back to where we were at the beginning. This is why pilgrimages can often be uh, spiritually helpful to us, to come back. This is what he did for me at the beginning. I, I would implore you that, that if this is you, you, you have kind of held back from God, you do feel distant, you haven't done what you're supposed to have done, the guilt and the shame is upon you, uh, this is a word for us, an invitation for God, an invitation to come back to him in repentance. And I would remind you that repentance is always combined with faith. Faith is that belief that God will forgive, the belief that God is good, the belief that God will look upon you with favor. It's like a story of the prodigal. I mean, when the prodigal son comes home, the father's not distant, making him earn his stripes back. He hikes up his garments. He runs to the son before the son said a word. You see the heart of the father. He runs to the son. He wraps his arms around him, puts a robe around him, a ring on his finger, slaughters the calf. I mean, this is the mercy of God here. Abram literally jeopardized God's plan, and yet when he returns, the Lord's there with forgiveness. That's what we're called to believe. I want to remind you that Every testimony, all the stories of redemption that we love, all the stories of reclamation, they all have, or most of them, have a failure in them. The failure becomes the foil to show the very goodness of God. So, so take comfort, sinner. Take comfort that he receives the repentant with joy. This is instruction for all of us. It is for those who are here and are not Christian, and you don't know how to get to God. You get to God through repentance and faith. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But also for the saint. You know, for the saint who has fallen away, and you begin to do that handsprings in your mind about, well, how, how do I get back to God? This is a word for us. So that's the first movement. You see Abraham, out of his failure, returns to the beginning, the altar he built at the first, through repentance and faith. Now, look at him live. Look with me back at verse 8, because we're going to see he comes into a test. There's strife already in the land. In verse 8, he says, Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and I. Strife is contention, often of a legal matter. And between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we are brothers, is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right, I'll go to the left. And then Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. It was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a little parenthetical note that that you'll need later as you continue through the book. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Notice that Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and he journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. 
Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So here you have this contention. Okay, so Abram has come back to God, and he has been received. He's called upon the name of the Lord. Relationship has been restored. He's been reclaimed, right? And then God, what does he do? Because, because God wants us to mature from glory to glory to glory, a, a test comes right to Abram. And this test is over wealth. They're both wealthy. And this is the first time wealth is mentioned in the scriptures. And, and, and it, it should be not too surprising to us. Wealth is mentioned as contentious. Now, we think intuitively that if I have more, things will be easier or better. But you see, the first mention of wealth is surrounded by contention and strife and hardship. Now, we read about Abraham, Abram being, I'll keep doing that forever, we'll keep reading about Abram being wealthy, livestock, herds, tents. But notice what it says, silver and gold. And in Hebrew it says he was heavy with it. He was heavy with it. Gold is heavy, one of the most densest... But, but it was heavy. You know, wealth can be a burden like that. It can be a real burden to manage, to not fall in love with it, to not trust it, to not want more of it. So, so this is the picture. Abram is wealthy, but so is Lot. Now, how is Lot wealthy? We don't hear about Lot in the last story, but he was probably with Abram, and he probably benefited from the Pharaoh's giftings towards Sarai. And he probably picked up some of the wealth there. So they're both wealthy. They're both in the land. But the land, notice that parenthetical statement that the land had Canaanites and Perizzites in it. So it was already occupied. The best land was already taken. So these two men with their great wealth are now fighting over who's getting the land. This is the strife. What's Abram going to do? Last time he was put in a corner, what did he do? Well, he took his wife and said she was a sister and gave her to the Pharaoh and tried to make out like a bandit. What's he going to do in this case? Has he learned his lesson? That's the question. It seems he did. Because notice, he says to Lot, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. What's he doing here? A lot of people think that Abram's dropping the ball again. He's abandoning the covenant. He's, there's, you know, Abram's saying, you know, forget the promises. We're in the land now. Just go wherever you want. I don't think that's the case. I think Abram is actually deferring out of faith. He believes that God will care for him. That he can say, Lot, go to the right if you want to. And I'll go over here. Or go to the left if you want to, and I'll go over there. In other words, he's actually trusting in the God who delivered him from Pharaoh. He saw the power of God to move through this wicked king to achieve his purposes. So he's saying, I can let go. I don't have to fight for my right. I don't have to grab hold and clamor and struggle and tight fist things in my life. Lot, take the one you want. You see here a life of faith. A faith not presuming upon God that he's got to always give me the goodies, but a life of faith that trusts that God is sovereign even through and around the actions of other people. Do you know the freedom that you can have in life from trusting this? I mean, think about it, all the different times that we want this and we need to fight for this and I might lose that and someone said that and they got to promote And our life is what? It's filled with strife. Because we always want something, or, or we think we deserve something, or we're fighting to keep something, or we're fighting not to lose something. And he's just 
Yeah, he entrusts himself to him who judges justly. Not even defending his name. But look at the contrast. That's a life of faith. But look at the life of Lot. Notice it says that he lifted up his eyes. That's the operative issue right there. He lifts up his eyes. And what does he see? Well, he sees a well-watered valley. Now, in this part of the land, water is like gold. And so he sees that the Jordan Valley is well-watered. He has all these, these uh, herds and animals. And so, so he says, well, I, gotta, I want the valley. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's clear. I want door number one. All the goodies are behind that door. That's what I want. And so he chooses the well-watered valley. He sees with his eyes. It's beautiful, and he wants it. Now, because we read through the book, you ought to remember that Eve also saw that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes. If you go forward, you're going to see in Joshua 7 that Achan, Achan was a man of Israel, and they conquered the town of Ai, and, and that same town that we're near. So we, we ought to make the connections here. And Joshua had said, take no plunder. This is for the Lord. Take no plunder. But he saw the gold, 200 shekels. He saw, excuse me, silver, 200 shekels, and gold, and he took it. Or we think about David. David was on the roof. And he looks down and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. He saw her and he took her. And so you, you, you see what's happening here is Lot is living by sight. He's living by what he sees. Now, when we live according to our senses, we easily forget God. He's not thinking about the promises of God. He's heard them from Abram. He's followed. He came with Abram from Ur. So he's seen God. He's heard about God, but he's choosing now to live by sight. And, and there's a warning for us here, and you see it in the text, because first it says, Lot chose for himself. So where's God in that picture, right? Where's the appealing of God? Where's the petitioning of God? It's nowhere. So he chose for himself. And notice what it says. It, it says that he went east. It's interesting, because we've gone through the first 12 chapters. Do you remember what Adam did after he sinned? He traveled to the east. And do you remember what Cain did after he sinned? He traveled to the east. And then the men of Bethel, when they were going to build the tower to rebel against God, they traveled to the east. He's going to the east. So, so the reader is aware now uh, that, that Lot is going to the east out of the promises. He's walking away from God that the allure of a well-watered valley was greater than the promises of God. And so he goes east. And it says that he pitched a tent near Sodom. Now, the reader doesn't know yet about Sodom. So, God, so the narrator introduces what Sodom is. Oh, it's going to be destroyed later. It won't be for a number of chapters that we're going to read about it, but the narrator wants us to know he's going in the wrong direction. And then he talks about pitching the tents near Sodom. We're going to see what happens, this gradual declension of Lot. Right? He goes near Sodom, and then he's going to be in Sodom, and then he's going to be at the gate of Sodom. Now, there's more to the story on Lot. So we're not, we're not kicking Lot to the curb, but we're seeing that the one who lives by sight finds himself going deeper and deeper. And that's the warning here. Because he's, what we're doing is we're looking at Abram. He's returned to God. He's been accepted by God. And now he's living by faith. And he's contrasted with Lot. 
Uh, so the warning about living by faith, or excuse me, the warning about living by sight is that it's illusionary. It, it makes promises that it can't keep. So think about the bait-and-switch tactic. It was often used in retail stores. It's illegal, right? They advertise a good product at a great bargain, but then they substitute it with a lesser product, uh, thinking that you're getting a deal when you're not. That's the nature of living by sight. When you live by sight, when you live by what you see, what you feel, what you want, what you desire, what you're, when you live that way, you're going to end up, the warning is, like Lot. It's not a sin isn't a static issue. It's a declining issue. It's with wealth. If you live you know, with a heartbeat towards, I want to be wealthy. I want to be comfortable. And you live by sight, thinking wealth is the answer to the issues of life. Which I think Lot was. He had all those herds. It had to be watered. He wanted prosperity. Uh, then you're on a fool's errand. Yeah, I used to be a CPA for a number of years uh, before going into ministry. And some of the most unpeople, or the most unhappy people I met were those that had the most. Because they're trying to hold on to it so with such difficulty. Or they were trying to amass it or increase it. But it's not just wealth. Maybe you want to live by sight in terms of beauty. You know, physical beauty is the goal that you have, that you want to stay young, you want to stay beautiful. You know, we have a perfect example in Hollywood. These stars that don't want to let their beauty fade. They, they live this life by the physical and by sight. And, and so cosmetic surgery after cosmetic surgery. And at the end of their life, what do they look like? They look foolish. It looks like folly. A, a life lived by sight is, is a ruinous life. Matthew even says, it, Mark says it this way, he says, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and forfeit a soul? Uh, to live by sight is foolish because everything that you see is a shadow. Your health, it's a shadow. Your wealth, a shadow. Your relationships, though they may be good, are temporal. All these things, the positions you attain, the accolades you win, they're shadows. They're just temporal. They're not going to last forever. And if we don't see that, then we pursue them as Lot pursued wealth. And we end up ruined. That's why in Psalm 90.12, Moses says, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. There is wisdom, not folly. There is wisdom. So with Abram and Lot, Lot looks like the fool. Abram looks like the wise. There's wisdom in numbering our days. So as a staff, we're going to read Remembering Death. Half the staff think I could write that because I talk about it enough. Uh, but remember death. The premise of the book is simply this, that if you don't remember you, the brevity of your life, you will live in a way that doesn't prepare you for it. And so if you're not prepared, you look foolish. Now, we're called to live by faith. We're called to live trusting in God. And that's the lesson here, is, is we live in the goodness of God. And, and that allows us to, to deal with contention and strife by just taking a step back. We don't have to defend ourselves all the time. We don't have to clamor to get what we think we need. 
You know, if Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, if your heritage is to inherit the earth, why are we fighting for it now? Why are we clamoring for it all now? If we believe in these promises and our faith rests in God caring for us, we don't need to fight for it now. We can take a step back when in the midst of conflict, not throwing barbs that are coming to us, not defending ourselves. We entrust ourselves to God. He'll care for us. And so we, we, we try to lessen strife that way. And that's a life of faith. Uh, so, so here you see Abram. He comes back to God. He repents. He calls on the name of the Lord. And then the first point, instead of a famine in the land, now we have contention in the land. But he's learned. He takes a step back. And he says, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So we see Abram. But what else do we see Abram do? Notice that he begins to worship again. Worship as this follower. Look with me at 14 to 18. He says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. That's really important. The separation between the people of God and the people of the world. You see that. Lift your eyes, he says. There's that operative phrase. And look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'll give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So you see now Abram beginning to live out this life of faith, right? So a lot is separate, separated. God affirms. I want you to see that what's happening here, each time Abram moves by faith, God reaffirms the promises. He moved by faith with Lot. God reaffirms, but he amplifies those promises. Do you see? He doesn't just say that I give land to you. He says, I give all the land to you and your descendants. He doesn't just say he'll have descendants, but he says you'll have descendants like the dust of the earth. If you can count that. In other words, you're going to have descendants beyond number. So he's not just reaffirming, but he's magnifying, he's amplifying these promises, confirming to Abram that to trust in the promises is wise. And then what's he do? He tells Abram to walk the land. Now, listen, Abram will never possess the land, but he's giving him a foretaste. He's going to feel the land under his feet. He's going to smell the smells of the land. He's going to see the land. He will never fully occupy the land. We've just heard that it's already occupied. But that's, that's an important lesson for us. Even right now, we're given foretastes of what we'll have. The redemption, the spirit of God, the conviction, the encouragement that we receive. The, the joy that we have with God and the gospel, all those things are foretaste of what we'll have in fullness when we see him. So, so Abram here, and it says it this way in Hebrews, by faith he went to live in the land, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So he's living in this land. He's waiting. He's waiting for God. Abram will never fully occupy the land. But he knows of it. He rests in it. He's That's what faith is. Faith is hoping in what is not fully seen. 
So, so you kind of see right here that, that Abram is a picture for us of what it means to live as pilgrims in this land. He's persevering in faith. He's trusting in God. That's what you're doing if you're a Christian here. You're trusting in the goodness of God to, to save you, to walk with you, to deliver you, even though oftentimes you don't see the fullness of what that promise will bring on the final day. We are pilgrims in this land. We're aliens. That's why the, the saints in Hebrews in chapter 10 it says that they, they cared for their saints in prison and they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property because they knew they had better and lasting possessions. That's faith. I can have you. I can serve the saints. And if, if the enemy would take all the stuff out of your house, I'm okay. Why? Because I'm going to inherit the earth. That's what faith is. Faith lives today based on the reality of tomorrow. But he gives us, he, give, he gave Abraham, walk the land. Just get a taste of it. Moses got to see into the land. We've got to experience the Spirit of God as it changes us. So there's this pilgrimage that we're on. And this is why we worship. This is why he built an altar. You don't hear any altar that Lot built, but you do see that Abram built an altar. That's why we worship. That's why we need the church. That's why we come together to encourage each other. That's what it says in Hebrews 10. Let us encourage, let us not forsake gathering together, but encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching, we need each other to help walk by faith. To do this kind of life in isolation is difficult. I know that when Lot separated, he was a nephew. You, they were kinsmen. They were brothers. You know it had to be difficult. Uh, that's why we want to we remain together in worship, enjoying each other. But I want to make sure you understand, you may be thinking, but I'm not Jewish. I mean, I'm not a son of Abraham. I didn't come from his bloodline. So, so how can I be assured of these promises? Are these promises for me or are they just, are they just for the nation of Israel? Uh, well, let me remind you that when God promises to Abram that he will have an offspring, Remember now, Abram wasn't Jewish either, right? He was Gentile. He's the father of the nation of Israel, but he wasn't Jewish. And the children of Abraham, as Paul, the apostle in the book of Galatians explains, the children of Abraham are not children by ethnic lineage, by blood, but by faith. So you find in Genesis, or sorry, Galatians chapter 3, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the blessing that we're talking about, that you will have a land, you'll have a life. And I want to remind you, the land that we're speaking about here was a physical plot of ground. But it was always pointing to something greater which was the new heavens and the new earth. The land that would come down from Jerusalem. So, so what we're speaking about here is not, we all got to move to the Middle East. We're talking about a new creation, a land, just like he created a land for Adam that was lost due to sin. Then he promised the nation of Israel a land that was a shadow of a land to come, that we're not kind of in a precious moment picture of heaven. No, there's a new heavens and there's a new earth of which we will occupy and dwell with God and live and rejoice and work and serve. That's the promise. 
And what he's saying is that that promise is also for the Gentiles. But how do we participate in this promise? Well, he says at the end of Galatians chapter 3, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, according to the promise, the promise I just read. So what he's saying here is the ethnic distinctions of Jew-Greek, the social distinctions of slave-free, the gender distinctions of male-female, those do not play a part. They don't, by the way, they don't go away. They're still here. But they don't play a part in establishing you as being able to participate in these promises. It's faith in Christ, the Messiah. So Abraham was going to have an offspring. He was going to have a seed. But there is one seed that Paul speaks about in Galatians. He says, now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. He does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Christ is the offspring. And all of those in Christ are the offspring that are like the dust of the earth that inherit the promises that I've just given to you. That God will be with you. God will be for you. God will give you life. God will give you a new land. God will give you new hope, even in this world. Even as we dwell in darkness and we live in the wilderness that we do, he's drawing us to a land. So we see here a beautiful picture of how God reclaims us. We go back to him in faith and repentance. We begin to walk out faith. And we begin to walk out faith, seeing life as a pilgrimage, being hopeful, waiting waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. That's what our lives are. We're people waiting. Thankfully, he's given us a foretaste. Just like Abram walked through the land, so we have the Spirit of God. We know the reality of God by him dwelling within us through his Spirit, convicting us of sin, encouraging us in righteousness, changing our life incrementally. So folks, we have a great God. We have a wonderful God. I, I pray for those of you who have felt far off, you've been doing time in Egypt, come back to where you began. And for those saints that are struggling, see the mercy of God. For those struggling, waiting, just let us wait together. Tell us that you're struggling and waiting. We'll come together and pray with you. But we're on this pilgrimage together. We're all aliens and strangers in this land. So let's ask God now to cause his spirit to revive us by his word. And I'll pray for us in a moment.